Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, it is Wednesday, January 25th, and you are listening to Talking Comics. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I am here with Steve Say. Hello. Bob Ryer. Good evening. And Stephanie Cook. Hello. Well, welcome back to another issue of Talking Comics. Um, This week, we'll be going over our book of the week and talking about Scott Snyder's run on Batman. Um, But before that, um, so Bob... You're a movie guy, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. The Oscar nominations came out today. Did you happen to see any of them? A little bit of it. Not or, a... or yesterday, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tuesday. They came out Tuesday. Tuesday. Um, uh, very, I was very underwhelmed. I was very underwhelmed. I'm not... I'm going to watch, obviously. Right, obviously. But not with any rooting interest. Yeah. Because I, I still haven't seen The Artist, which I, I have to see. Yeah. And Hugo, I want to see. Mm-hmm. But the rest of it's sort of... Eh. I haven't heard some of the movies. Yeah. <laughs> why uh, you and I saw Hugo together? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I did, but why is it just? Is it just because it's Scorsese that it's getting so much attention? I don't know. I have no idea. I, it, I, it's it's bizarre to me. It, I, it, the, sorry, Steph. Go ahead. Oh, it's actually based on this freaking amazing book by Brian Selznick, I believe. Mm-hmm. That's and his name. if the adaptation is anything like the book, it's phenomenal. I haven't seen it yet, but I already think. I mean, I already love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, movies about movies tend to get attention, and here you know you're going back to the beginning with Millier. And- yeah, it's just, I don't know who that movie's for. We talked about this when we saw it. Yeah, it, it's too long to be a children's movie. It's too the the whole like silent film era stuff is just not gonna be interesting for a, a child. But it has definitely like childlike things about it in in like half of its. It's movie, and it also doesn't know what movie it wants to be to me. It's a very uneven piece of film it, to it me. It felt like it climaxed about a quarter of the way through. Yeah. Does it want to be the artist? I, I don't know. I haven't seen the artist yet. Uh, me either, but uh, also there's a movie like, about silent movies, kind of. Also, th- there's movies like like A Better Place. Somebody's, like, I've never even heard of that movie. And Albert Nobbs, which is a movie that I, I only heard of because of... The Golden Globes, Glenn Close was nominated yeah, right. there. And I was like, oh, silly Hollywood foreign press nominating some movie nobody's ever seen. Yeah. And now, like, it's just this disconnect between the people who watch movies and the people who vote for the Academy Awards, which is crazy. Yeah. Steve? I'm disappointed by um, The Adventures of Tintin not being nominated. For but, animated. But Very weird. Yeah. Puss in Boots yeah. I is. I was going to say that, yeah. yeah. I haven't what seen kind Puss in Boots. What we live in? But I mean, <laughs> don't care to seriously, what kind, of, what kind of shenanigans are they pulling where Tintin doesn't make it into the, into the rounds and Puss in Boots, a character that's got its like fourth movie mm-hmm. out and, and that gets nominated? The only thing well, I think... That, to, sorry, Steph, go ahead. Oh, that too. And the fact that there's two movies that... I'm, I'm pretty... I consider myself pretty up to date with the animated 
film world, and I'm sure Steve does too, but I have to be. there's two films on there that I've never even heard of. Yeah, yeah. I know. Chico and Rico, whatever <laughs> yeah. that one was. Yeah. Oh, I'm and like, the, uh, the cat the movie? These movies? The Cat of Paris or something? Yeah. Very bizarre. I think maybe the Tintin thing is, is maybe animators rebelling against the whole motion capture technology thing, maybe. Yeah, but Tintin was amazing. I, I feel like Tintin even should have been nominated for best screenplay, like adapted screenplay. Great point. I, I think the movie was was really good. I just it's weird to me because it won the Producers Guild Award and wasn't even nominated for the Academy Award, which is very bizarre. That doesn't that never happens. Um, it's a weird year. The best picture nominees are weird to me. Like Midnight in Paris, I'll embrace. Well, yeah, because I love that movie. But well, where's Young Adult? How could it be best screenplay? Where I mean, where's Fifty Fifty in best picture? Where's Bridesmaids in best picture? It's a very yeah. weird year. I, I haven't seen Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close yet, but it's getting very mixed reviews. It's a weird world. Stephanie, were you going to say something? Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, and Tree of Life, people either love it or hate it, but I feel like the Oscars, everybody was just like, well, if we don't nominate it, people will think that we don't get it. Right. Because, yeah. <laughs> like, who the fuck understands that movie? Like, I do. <laughs> when the cast doesn't even understand it, you know, like, you know you have a winner there. Sean right. Penn. I don't have a clue <laughs> what's going on in this movie i just spent like x amount of time working on when we're, when we're not doing the podcast we'll talk and i'll, I'll give you my take on the movie yeah. i i happen to enjoy it where's andy circus yeah well that was never gonna happen that was it, it should though he is so brilliant but the same thing happened you know 10 years ago during the whole like lord of the rings thing mm-hmm. and it's just people say it to kind of be cool i think but then no but they're never the, gonna do in it in this one case look uh, Gollum is you haven't okay. seen those you haven't seen those movies i don't care <laughs> it's 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 just a thing in the movie this is the heart and soul of this movie mm-hmm. it sells the dramatic arc of the thing right he deserves it. I do like Bridesmaids got nominated for Best Screenplay. I thought that was I like a, that as well. That was a cool nomination. But um and I, I'm having an Oscar party this year as I always do, so that will be a fun, fun time. But mm. um this isn't a movie show, it's a comic book show, but oh, I wanted to I get that out of our fl- chest. I was having a flashback. There. Yeah, me too. Um so comic books. Um we're gonna do a little book of the week as we as we normally do. Bob, you're gonna start off this week. You have something a little different for us. Yeah, it's sort of a cross between Book of the Week and Off the Beaten Path, because um, so far in my couple of appearances here, it's been mostly the history of comics. I do either retro or sort of classic sort of things, and it comes from somewhere. Uh, From Tomorrow's Publishing, they do two wonderful magazines about the history of comics. One's called Back Issue, which is mostly Bronze Age, 70s and up. And that's Rich Yuri who edits that. And then Alter Ego, which is Roy Thomas, who worked for Marvel. He was the editor-in-chief right after Stan Lee. And that's Silver and Golden Age. If you want to know about things, it's here. It is really chock-a-block with unpublished art, commissioned pieces, interviews, creators interviewing each other. It's the history of companies and characters and alternate histories and oddball covers Every month, each one of these is just knocks it out of the park. And so people should take a look at Back Issue and Alter Ego. Back Issue and Alter Ego. Now, can they pick them up at like a Barnes & Noble or do they have to go to the comic no, book store? you've got to go to the comic store. Okay. And mostly the bigger ones because even the smaller ones are doing a couple of issues at a time. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. they're $9 an issue. Okay. Are they worth the $9 though? They are to me. And for someone looking to dig backwards into where this all comes from, this is how it all starts and mm-hmm. you need to know where the fruit comes from by seeing where the tree is 
Very good point, Bob. Ooh. Thank you very much. We'll close. Very I think. good point. I'm, that's not, I'm not topping that. So I'm not going out. I'm leaving on that one. You won't top that line. Yeah. All right. Um, I will. I'll go next. Um, not talking about the past. Talking about the very present. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man number six seventy-eight. You're kind of talking about both since you're talking about that book. It's true. Yes. Hey, good hey. Po- good point, Steve. Very good point. Cheers. Um, so this is the probably the first Amazing Spider-Man book I picked up since I was nine years old, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly because you know it says six seventy-eight. So where do you jump in? How do you know what's going on? Um, this is the beginning of a new arc, or actually a very short, a two a two part arc um which is um i killed tomorrow which is the two-part arc and this part is called schrodinger's catastrophe um and it it's very good because it 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 brings you into the world peter parker in a very um welcoming way he kind of explains who he is what he's doing where he works that he's spider-man and that things have been bad but things look like they're gonna be good and as bob mentioned me off mic whenever he says that it leads to something horrible happening. Disaster begins. <laughs> right. Um, what we have here is a very interesting time travel story. Um, a co-worker of Peter's at a lab creates a doorway. Grady. Grady. Yeah. That makes a, a, a doorway into tomorrow, morrow, morrow, morrow. I love that. <laughs> and it's just into the break room of their office. Uh, and Grady goes through and comes back with a daily bugle from the day before. And Peter goes through. But when he goes through, the whole city is destroyed. And and the rest of the issue is them trying to figure out. They have the bugle from that day, so they uh, a day in advance, so they can try to figure out what went wrong. And there's them trying to recreate events and trying to stop this catastrophe from happening. Um, like the Spider-Man books I've been reading, like Ultimate Comic Spider-Man and like uh, Avenging Spider-Man, the book has a great sense of humor to it. Um, Spidey is wisecracking as he always does. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob, you read the book as a as somebody who hasn't read a Spider-Man book probably in the same amount of time I yeah, have. I haven't read it since you were nine, <laughs> right. is, is what I said before. Uh, look, Dan Slott is an amazing writer for, for The Amazing Spider-Man. Mm. He did a great run on She-Hulk a couple of years back, um, did a Thing miniseries that really captured Ben Grimm, which is hard to do. It's very easy to be gruff, stupid, but mm. he had it right. This is Peter Parker perfectly captured. He needs to do the right thing. There are a couple of guest appearances where he has to sort of, oh, I need to do this. It can't be anybody else. It has to be me. Mm-hmm. Very, very internally driven Peter Parker. Wonderful book. I can't wait to see how this one turns out. Very cool. Steve, what about you? Uh, I really enjoyed it. I, uh, as I, well, I was reading it right before we uh, came on. Mm-hmm. Too much inside baseball. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, the only other Spider-Man thing that I've read has been, I've been reading The Avenging Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I've been having so much fun with that. And uh, it's just, it's nice to know that there are other Spider-Man books. It's cool that the humor carries over to the other books and that even though other people are writing these books, that they seem to have a good handle on his like sarcasm. And I mean, some of the, some of the quips that he comes out with are genuinely really, really clever, very well written. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just, it's, it's nice to know that when you, when you read something Spider-Man, you're most likely going to read something that's fun. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. It was entertaining. It, mo- it moved really fast, which was another thing that uh, that I like. Sometimes I know it's only a two-parter, but sometimes they take a little too long to get the ball rolling because they want to set a lot of stuff up. Mm-hmm. This was like, this is the situation. Go. You have only a few hours left to do it. And it's uh, it was very entertaining. I dug it. I found it very refreshing, actually, going off your point, that it is just a two-parter. So it's just, yes. it's packing all the story in. It's really giving a satisfying uh, uh, take. And I mean, that's the reason I've always loved Spider-Man is that sense of humor. 
that even in the face of the most awful thing that he can possibly mm-hmm. imagine, he has a sense of humor. Um, Stephanie, did you get a chance to check it out? I did, and um, I, I this is the first Spider-Man I think I've ever read. Um, <laughs> so it was really interesting for me to kind of know his background, but I can't believe that I've never actually really gotten into it. Um, so when you said it was a new arc, I was really tempted to, you know, check it out. And it's really well written. I mean, you can almost feel Peter Parker's exhaustion as he goes throughout this story and just like, oh, my God, what next? <laughs> and like, it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's kind of suspenseful. Like, I mean, you always know that things are going to turn out for the better one way or the other, yeah. but it's still, you know, has that whole what's going to happen? How yeah. is he going to fix this kind of feel to it? And it's a good read. Definitely fun. Yeah. Left with a great cliffhanger. Yeah. Hanging. You've got a, the, the motif of a clock running, a watch running that, mm-hmm. that stopped at the time everything's ended. And he's on that clock face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What am I, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. But uh, within the, the story itself, you, you've got the writer exhibiting the same humor as Peter. Mm-hmm. At one point, he finds this one-off supervillain who's about to discuss his great master plan. I don't have time. I'm yeah, out yeah, of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and the footnote is the writer explaining what his acronym stands for. Is oh, who cares? And, and moves on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, br- it's Spider-Man. You know, yeah. and that's what I always look for in a Spider-Man book. Is is this Spider-Man? You know, it, do, do I feel? Do I feel the Spider-Man-ness about it? And it's, <laughs> That should be a word if it isn't. Yeah. yeah, and it's running through the entire book. And obviously, Slot's running the book for a long time. I'm really glad I jumped in now because I want to read from now on. So I'm glad that I'm in now. Yeah, I'm going to, um, when, uh, when I go later today, I'm going to go and pick up my book. <laughs> I win. You, you learning. Um, so yeah, uh, Amazing Spider-Man six seventy eight. It's great. It's a star of a new arc. I recommend you pick it up if you're not reading it already. Um, Stephanie, you had an interesting book that you picked for your book of the week. I did. I uh, picked Lobster Johnson, the Burning Hand number one. Rock lobster. And um, obviously, I picked this because I live in PEI, and I felt obligated to choose a comic with lobster in the title. <laughs> obviously, I was wondering obviously. how that came. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason. Moving on. It's a good reason. Um. Anyways, it's a. I don't know. I I wasn't familiar with Lobster Johnson at all prior to this. Um. But he comes from the Hellboy world. Um. For those of you who are also unfamiliar with him, and um, this story, like Hellboy, is written by Mike McNola. McNola. Yeah. Okay. Yes, got it. And um. Also co-written by John Ar- Arcudi. 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 Yeah. <laughs> and I haven't Close. even gone into the person who does the illustrations who I won't even taunt see Zonjek. Talking comics, yeah. where we fuck up your name. Yeah. Yeah. Where Stephanie fucks up your yeah. name. 14 episodes in a row. Never got a name right <laughs> once. Um, I, I mean, I suppose I could have looked it up and Googled how no, do I no, say it's this. It's charming but, this way. Phonetically. You know. yeah. um, so basically this story... Uh, of this particular comic is um, it kind of takes place, I think, probably in the 20s or 30s or in olden days. That's what it seems. It doesn't give you an exact date, but yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, I suppose I could have looked it up. They reference a movie that was new, but I wasn't going to delve into it that much. Well, do they mention Um, Nazis in it at all? I think they mentioned Nazis. It's it's a Hellboy universe. It's probably the 40s. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, anyways, um, basically the story for this one is a tribe of 
phantom ghost Indians start scalping policemen. <laughs> um, and basically, Lobster Johnson comes to foil their shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, the first thing that really stood out to me that made this comic great to me was the art. Um, I really felt that it captured the atmosphere and the mood of what they, like the era they were trying to convey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the colors that they used and the style. And I just thought it was really, it really worked. For a book called um, Lobster Johnson, there's not much Lobster Johnson in it. Yeah, that was my <laughs> next point. Um, I mean, I really expected to kind of get introduced to this character. And um, basically, he's in it for one panel mm-hmm. when he jumps through a window to stop these ghost Indians. And he just yells, taste justice, imposters. And <laughs> then he's gone. Um, so that was awesome. Uh, <laughs> It speaks to you, doesn't it? That that was pretty well my one introduction to Lobster Johnson. Yeah. Instead, well, we're kind of following this reporter. And, yeah, yeah. Indeed. I love his he's name. Kind of, Lobster Johnson. Yeah. I just like to say it over and over again. <laughs> it is um, fun to say. Now, I have to say that it is very old-fashioned storytelling to allow him to be introduced in little bits and pieces over however many issues this will be. We do seem to be in an era where let's just throw everything into the pot right away. You know everything about this character in the first five pages. No, let's be mysterious about who Lobster Johnson is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's um, a neat idea. It's, I mean, it's interesting because I didn't expect the story to, I, I expected it to be about Lobster. Where I'm going <laughs> to refer to him as a No, a you have to use the basis. full name. Full name. By his Christian name? <laughs> no, just Lobster Johnson. Lobster He's, Johnson. Yes. Um, but it took this turn and again, you know, his one panel, and then it takes, Cindy takes over. Mm-hmm. And basically, she's trying to build this story of what's going on. And um, she's just trying to fit the pieces together. And really, it's kind of this um, almost noirish gangster story. Maybe not noirish, but I don't know. Oh, it, it's, it's got a little no, noir yeah. to it, yeah. Um, and at times, it kind of actually gives off this Scooby Doo ish vibe where. Like, I feel like Mm. she's going after the bad guys and instead of the ghost Indians that everyone thinks, you know, are cursing the town, it's really Mm. crafty Mr. Daniels and he's going to shake his fist at Cindy and go, I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you meddling kids. (laughs) I like Like, that. um, But yeah, um, there's a hint of supernatural stuff, but again, it's more sort of a mobster gangster story well, well bobby's got the art up on his little eye whatever you call that thing ipad <laughs> ipad sorry i'm not good I at whatever but it's laid out in a very traditional old-fashioned grid way yeah it definitely mm-hmm. leads to that sort of storytelling mm-hmm. I, I, i'm gonna assume there's gonna be something supernatural if he's from the hellboy universe there's gotta be something supernatural yeah. going on in some um, facet but he's actually, bitten by a radioactive lobster <laughs> yes and uh, speaking back to your part about a nazi reference there's yeah there is like this one scene where they're somebody's randomly on a cruise ship in the Mm -hmm. caribbean and there's this dark shady figure that's all silhouetted in the corner and i think somebody offers him a drink and he just goes nine yes and that's that is like literally the only thing that happens with that guy in the story he's gotta be a nazi yeah he's he's nazi shady Um, german man Saying nine, yeah, scary saying German guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, schnapps. I have schnapps. <laughs> <laughs> but 
else to add on to it. It's a really fun read. I mean, like I said, it kind of took me by surprise that, again, main character wasn't Mr. Lobster Johnson, but... Uh, <laughs> oh, now he's I'm Mr. Lobster Johnson. I, yeah, I getting I, better. I've spiffed him up a bit. So. Yeah. <laughs> if that doesn't make you want to read it, then I don't know what will. Well, she wears a very nice hat, I'm seeing. So you should, just for the fashions, you should read. She's very classy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cindy. <laughs> so Lobster Johnson, uh, Dark Horse Comics, written by Mike Magnolia. Magnola. Magnola. See? M- Look, Mignol- it's just Mignola. Mignola? I think so. Oh. Mignola. I think the it's G a train is station. station. <laughs> <laughs> it's 70s Book of the Week. Steve, what about you? Um, I've been, uh, I think it came out maybe just a week ago. We were finally, we were waiting and waiting we were. for uh, Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley to release uh, number two of their book called Brilliant that is distributed by Icon Comics. Now, um, what this is, is it's the story of a bunch of, like, I guess, freshmen or sophomore year college kids who are all uh, physicists, mathematicians, biophysicists, all, you know, all that, all that good, smart stuff. Yes. And one of them has uh, come back. He's been away for a while uh, trying to sort out a relationship. And he comes back and basically all of his friends uh, they want to talk to him. They want to bring him into a room. They're like, we have something that we want you to take a look at because you're the only one that we think can put the finishing touches on what we figured out. And basically what they discover is that they've figured out a mathematical or a, a, a scientific formula to give themselves superpowers. Mm-hmm. Now, the story, you can imagine the story goes on from there. I'm not going to give too much away about the story, but... Why it was my favorite book of the week is because, uh, like when I was talking the other week about Whispers or Girls or any of these other books, that as much as I enjoy the superhero books and all the crazy stuff and adventures that we get to go on with all these heroes every week, um, I like to pull back and I like to read comics about people in extraordinary situations, and that is exactly what this is. Um, I also like that there's not all of the characters are in on what's happening. There's one uh, particular guy named Amadeus who has basically taken it upon himself to uh, test the powers out and inject himself. And he's over the course of the two issues is finding out that he can use the powers, but he doesn't know how to control them. And it's starting to become a problem. Um, what I like about him is that normally it would be really typical to go in that like this one guy gets power hungry because he has the powers the other ones don't and he wants to just get bigger and badder with it but he seems to actually be concerned about the usage and the level upon which that he can like cause destruction Mm -hmm. so he's asking for help he wants it's it's like he wants to create a super team he's not going to be uh, greedy mm-hmm. with it. You know, they're thinking global. They're thinking of coming up with some kind of a serum that could possibly give the world su- uh, superpowers. Right. And um, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. I mean, it's for no other reason. It's just a really, really fun book. And I liked the idea that it was something that I was waiting on for a couple months. And when it did come out, it delivered for me. It, it built off the first issue. Uh, it didn't build all too much, but I almost I'm I'm enjoying that. I'm I'm enjoying getting to know the characters. Mm-hmm. You know, they all feel like real kids too. They have normal conversations. There are whole pages of them just hanging out, 
doing stuff, playing games, and I like that. I mm-hmm, like yeah. I like seeing them be real people. It drives home the fact that these are normal people bestowed with a gift that you know not everybody would know. If you woke up tomorrow with superpowers, as cool as the thought is of that, your whole life would change. You had no idea what to do. Mm-hmm. You'd have to hide it from everyone. You could only tell certain people if no one. Mm-hmm. You know, and you probably uh, shouldn't go to a casino. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is what he does. Yeah. You know, and um, I just I dig it. I did. I, I dig the vibe of the book. And uh, so far, I know it's only two issues, but so far it's been two solid issues for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm looking forward to more from it. I didn't I didn't like issue two as much as I liked, I liked issue one, but I will say that what you're saying is Bendis really likes to play in, in that world a lot. I mean, that's why he's restarted Spider-Man twice, yes. you know, because he likes to play in the kid who gets superpowers, doesn't know what to do with them world. I mean, Powers is another series that he did with Image a couple of years ago. <sighs> that exists in that same universe as well. Um, and I think he does that very, very well. And speaking of the conversations, that is like his deal. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's is the pitter-patter between people, even more than his his hero stuff to me. And the other thing, too, he, he's very famous for is his slow burns. And, you know, it, he was criticized when he first started Ultimate Spider-Man back in the day because it, it took a while for him to get Peter into the costume, to be doing big things. And the same thing happened with this new Spider-Man, the, the Miles Morales Spider-Man that he's been mm-hmm. doing. Um, and But I think, to me, that's his strength. That's the genius of his work, is that he makes you care about the people who are part of this bigger story before you even, you know, get into the bigger sure. stuff. You mm-hmm. could look at this almost as a placeholder, but so much is happening mm-hmm. to set up what issue three would be. It isn't just sort of, oh, I'm stretching this out to wait for the trade. Yeah. This is just really well done. The interactions are different. It's a real conversation taking yeah. place. They're, they're mm-hmm. ragging on each other a little bit. There's a little bit of interaction. Who's dating who and what's going right. to happen yeah. next? I mean, I'm I'm waiting for you know an issue, two issues from now where they're all you know injected mm-hmm. with the powers they're all mm-hmm. trying out you know different maybe even different algorithms and different ways of presenting the serum mm-hmm. and perhaps something goes wrong maybe somebody that we're not even expecting is going to be the villain and is going right. to go off someone leaps right. ahead yeah yeah i'm just saying like or or perhaps it doesn't work for someone that it takes a certain physiology for it to react mm-hmm. and one of them is left with nothing yeah you know you know you don't know and i and you mentioned the slow burn approach i love a good slow burn like drive um thriller like uh, those movies that just build and build and you get to know the characters while you're doing it it's not like i'm waiting for something to happen i'm not i'm i'm liking like i like i even like the guy that is supposedly being the unruly dick of the group right yeah. I, I like him too mm-hmm. yeah. you know so absolutely it's good now, writing it's good there's stuff. a yeah. lot of things going on in this same sort of vein because what stephanie was it's morning glories right mm-hmm. where it's it's kids with in a school yeah. with, where things are going on we've uh, chronicle yeah the movie about is to come out, out. yeah and in in my era john burns next man which is a similar book of four young people discovering superpowers that's a government project mm-hmm. all coming at once is this all x-men Back channel kind mm, yeah, of thing. I think, I think it's that, yeah. I mean, it's also some of the the vein of what Heroes was sort of about. Sure. You know, and, and and the book is a lot of what what I wish Heroes would have gone into a lot more. 
you know, instead of going into what it went into. But we, you mean I, after I season for, one, I could yeah. talk for Poor hours. Heroes. I could talk for hours Poor about how much I don't Poor like Heroes. Poor Hero stuck in Japan me, for like, half a season. That, I mean, even Runaways too. I've mm. mentioned Runaways before. Like it's, I mean, it's not a new concept to have, mm. you know, kids discovering sort of powers and working with them. I don't think, but I mean, it's interesting yeah. if you it's, if it's you have a good the, writer and a good team with you. So Steph, you're, you seem to be a little bit colder on it than we are. Um, what, what do you no, think of the book? I, I, I'm definitely intrigued by it. I like the story. I like the idea behind it. I like the idea that, you know, powers aren't like a mutation or, you know, some freak accident happened. I like the idea that they're scientifically generated superpowers. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that idea is sort of touched on in like Captain America, but I mean, this is sort of more, you know, uh, we're in school and we're just dicking around and trying to figure out if we can actually do this. Yeah. Right. Um, um, oh, sorry. I like, I definitely do like the characters. I think they're being really, really well built. Um, that ginger chick is like freaking crazy. Yes. <laughs> Um, but I mean, like, it's one of those things where I want to see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, it does have a good writer behind it, obviously. So I do think it will go somewhere good. But these kind of books, like in the first couple of issues can go one way or the other. Mm-hmm. To me, it's kind of like the social network, but with superheroes. Dude, I seriously, yeah. that when I was like, eyebrow eyebrowing you to talk, uh, that's oh, yeah. what <laughs> I was going to bring up was that. <laughs> It actually. We don't want to build Facebook. We want to build right. Yeah. Like those us. those scenes in the social network of him just staying in his room, cooped mm-hmm. up, building this thing. It reminds me of if you applied that to a group of friends mm-hmm. rather than just the one. And it's like that's what it reminded me of was this group huddled up in college where everybody else is out partying and doing their thing. They were getting together and and actually manufacturing superpowers right yeah so i i think it's pretty cool it's a really cool book and like i said the slow burn is a bendis thing so anybody who's reading it and it's like well things aren't really moving it kind of just get into the character development because that's what he's trying to do here it will get crazy because this stuff always gets crazy as it gets farther on but he he he's the kind of writer who will not will not just start you out at 10 he won't do it because he doesn't like all good writers knows that you have to build to 10 before it can be, it can be, you know, or else it doesn't matter. Yeah, so. You don't have characters then you've yeah. just got cardboard cutouts. You're moving around here. Yeah. They're real people being yeah. built. Exactly. So, um, book of the week, uh, brilliant. Number two. Yes. Steve. And pick up brilliant. Number one as well. It's only been two issues and it's, it's a run to, to watch, I think. Yes. Um, so we're going to stay with Steve. Yes. We're going off the beaten path. Steve has something very off the beaten path for, for this did I tell you what I was doing? Yeah. Oh. You did. I thought it was a surprise. Oh. <laughs> it's a surprise to me that you know. Your brain is not working as no, well. No, it's huh? not working. I have to apologize to our audience. I am uh, very much under the weather. You could probably hear it in my melodious voice. <laughs> anyway, yeah, a little something different. Um, something had uh, landed in our mailbox from, uh, was it IDW? No, it was actually from the uh, the company that um, put out the, the, the record. Oh, yeah. Okay. And that um, was the record. Yeah. It's it's vinyl. A, it, a well, record album. I'll, I'll look up the name of the. All right. You yeah. look up the name, and I'll tell you what this. Yeah. Um. Basically, uh, I we were talking about a couple weeks ago a book that I really enjoyed called Monocyte, mm-hmm. and um, what they did was uh, Menton Three is the creator 
of Monocyte. And Menton 3 actually has his own band called uh, Saltillo. And what they did was they came out with a companion album to the world of Monocyte. Now, I've never heard of anything like that being done. I mean, we all know comic book movie soundtracks are a dime a dozen. Um, did you want to say something, Bob? I'll go back around. Okay. Go, go. <laughs> um, but what's really, I mean, I, I, I have to be honest, I rolled my eyes. When uh, when I found out about this, and I was like, "Oh my god, what am I gonna have to Flyleaf and Paramore and Lincoln Park and yeah, yeah, yeah. just all this god awful garbage crap that I'll have to listen to?" But no, absolutely not. Um, no, uh, Saltillo is kind of like a mix. Uh, it really reminded me. I wrote this in the review. It's like Trent Reznor with Atticus Finch, uh, a little bit of Pussifer, which is uh, Maynard James Keenan, uh, James Keenan from Tools uh, side project. Not Perfect Circle, the other one. Uh, Lost Mord, who is a uh, very dark, um, like DJ-ish, atmospheric kind of guy. And a whole lot of DJ Shadow, who I've been listening to for years. I love introducing, I love Preemptive Strike, all those albums. And what the Monocyte album is, is it's a, a the world of Monocyte mirrored through music. And it completely 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 captures the atmosphere and the mood um you can even hear bits of dialogue from the agnostics and the antediluvians and these these two races that are you know battling against the hubris of mankind all this stuff and i just i was really taken by it and i i am being honest here i've listened to it probably about 15 times oh my god wow. yeah um it's one of those things it's not very long it's maybe about 45 minutes I just left it on repeat because it was it was that atmospheric that I when I'm writing when I'm doing my stuff for Joe Blow or talking comics mm-hmm. I can't write when I'm listening to music I get too distracted. Mm-hmm. With this album I was I actually found that it was kind of like honing me into what I was writing it was actually helping me to focus which is odd. Yeah. But um there's very few there's no lyrics there's no like there's a couple of um like sounds like old radio broadcast mixed in a uh, couple of like character voices come in and they, you know, they spout off lines um, that you might find in the comic, the comic, uh, the language of it is very heavy. Uh, and like, I, I don't know, the band is called Saltillo. Uh, Menton three is the mastermind behind it. Storming the base is the name of the storming company. the base. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Um, really solid stuff. And I would absolutely love if, other comic book creators that if they were so inclined that um, they would do more projects like this because this was something that was really interesting and mm-hmm. didn't come off as cheesy. It was genuine. Mm-hmm. And uh, and honestly, I threw it onto my iPod. I listened to it in my car. Uh, it's solid stuff. So, you know, if, if you're reading Monocyte, even if you're not reading Monocyte uh, and you just like very atmospheric, um, you know, instrumental breakbeats, and all that kind of stuff. Definitely give it a give it a whirl. It's uh, it's good stuff. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, that was that was an interesting thing to pop into our mailbox. But I'm glad it did. I've listened to a little bit of it. It's a, it's very intense. It's a little bit intense for me. That's the thing. It's only the first. Like we we you know previewed, previewed it a little bit, you, and yeah. it's it's funny that we only listened to like the first track and maybe the first minute and a half of the second track. Yeah. Later in the album. It's so like there are there are beats that you can latch on to. It's not just like this cacophonous nothing with like echoey voices coming in. It's actual. It's good, good music. Cool. So, I mean, I've I've dug that stuff for a long time and it was 
pleasantly it was i was surprised mm-hmm. you know i was like oh my god i'm like this sounds like dj shadow it's good music yeah i love yeah. dj shadow and but it's got it's not ripping it off any of the artists i mentioned it's got its own vibes and uh like i said it's really cool to see somebody that's got a creative comic put together a creative project to complement it mm-hmm. and i i thought it was really cool so it's saltillo yeah and the album's called mono yes they have another album as well not ganglion i think it might be okay um i'm sorry if i got that wrong <laughs> but uh yeah i definitely i endorse it i think it's uh i think it's a solid listen and uh definitely something you could trip out to so awesome Awesome. You, you you probably shouldn't pick up the old Spider-Man rock opera, <laughs> Confessions of a Superhero, which wasn't very good 30-odd years ago. You probably Whoa. also shouldn't pick up Spider-Man Turn of the Dark, either. The newer Spider-Man uh, rock how, opera. Uh, is that bad? It's I, okay. It's okay. I'm, I was making a joke. But <laughs> well, many, people have gotten hurt. many people have gotten hurt in the, in the it's process. True. It's true. Um, so that's it for Off the Beaten Path. Um, we're going to take a little break, and we'll come right back with our discussion of Batman. <gasps> Right, we are back, and on the break, we have a, a surprise, a very uh, nice surprise. Um, so we're going to talk about Batman today, and we actually have the writer of Batman, Scott Snyder, is joining us. Hello, Oof. Scott. Hey, how are you guys doing? We're doing great. <laughs> Especially now, yeah. Um, brings a whole new gravitas to our uh, talk about Batman. Nice work. Well, thanks for having me on. Of course. So anyone, and, and Steve, you know, anyone that goes to Fourth World, my local shop... Is a, is a, you know has a special place in my twisted heart. Uh, <laughs> every every Wednesday, man. You want to hang out? You let me know. <laughs> yeah. Um. So um, we have a couple questions we put together uh, to ask you about about the run. Um. Well, Steve, you had a kind of general question about just like his sort of writing in general. So why don't we start with that before we get into into Batman in specific? I did have a question. Let me just open it up. <laughs> All right. All right, my question, I was actually wondering this. Um, I was talking to my wife when uh, when we met the other day, and I said to her in the car, and my question is this, how do you manage to orient yourself when you're dealing with, you, you have Batman, you have Swamp Thing, you have American Vampire, you have Severed, uh, and you're a full-time father. <laughs> so how do, you, how do you like orient yourself? How do you manage your time? I just neglect my kids all the time. <laughs> no, I, I just I try and compartmentalize it really well so that um, I mean the family work stuff is always is always um, you know uh, the 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 thing I try the hardest to to um, to separate and really have a, you know a, a very uh, uh, isolated family time from my from my work time um, but uh, in terms of separating the books I try and do more than one issue I guess in a row for each of them so I can really get into a kind of momentum or give them some inertia for me so when I work on Batman I do two to three issues and when I work on Swamp Thing I do two to three issues and uh. you know it takes me a few weeks on each one so I try and really spend some time in each neighborhood I guess and right and I have big outlines for each one, you know, it helps to do those big stories. So you can kind of pick them up where you left off without feeling um, like it's each one is a, you know, a one and done or a two issue arc that's split in the middle somehow with your right. time. 
Do you so, uh, do you split your time up during the week? Do you have like a special day of the week that you work on Batman or Swamp Thing or something like that? No, I just do it. I do it really like a couple weeks at a time. Like this, I just finished working on Batman um, uh, ten and eleven, and then I um, just started working on American Vampire twenty seven and uh, twenty eight this week. So I'm going to do 27 this week and sort of 28 next week. And then I'll go back and do Swamp Thing, uh, 11 and 12. So I I, I sort of do that. You know, we, usually I devote two weeks to each one and try and do two issues or if I can do three in that time, that's great. And, you know, I, sometimes it's only one, but, um, I try and just live in the world of that, that series for, for a couple weeks and severed too, but severed, we finished severed a while ago. So, um, uh, that one's sort of off the table right now. Right. How many uh, issues is that going to be? It's seven. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the last one's coming out. <laughs> Very cool. Very so, cool. Um, Bob, you had kind of question about uh, starting Batman in this new sure. 52 universe. Yeah. Hey Scott, I haven't read Batman in a long time, probably back Alan Davis detective issues because people yeah. have written Batman as the, dark night twisted psychotic sort of thing and so for the the show here i've been given the first issues here and i absolutely love it that that batman is a detective again and a real person and he and bruce are kind of different yet the same you can see the facets of it is there pressure doing an iconic character like this that you know swamp thing is people know swamp thing but batman you know, people come out of the womb knowing who Batman is. How do you <laughs> how do you kind of sort out? How do you tell a new story and find a way? And you certainly have here for for my money. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. It's it's very intimidating. I mean, you know, I I feel like if you stop and take the blinders off and look at what the character means to you personally, and and look at what he means to uh-huh. for me, my son was was wearing a Batman T shirt today. <laughs> nice. You know, and, when you see that, um, it's paralyzingly intimidating. So you have to almost pretend you're just doing fan fiction yourself and just sort of, you know, focus on the story that you think. The way my, I guess, you know, I, I love teaching as well. And whatever I've taught, you know, regular fiction mm-hmm. or straight ahead fiction, I've taught. Now I teach basically comic writing. And it's always been the same golden rule in the class, no matter what, which is you have to sit down and write the story that you would like to pick up and read, regardless sure. of whether you think it's the smartest or the funniest or the darkest or, mm-hmm. you know, or not at all. Not any of those things. It doesn't matter as long as it's the one that that particular day or week you would like to you would like more than any other for whatever reason, you know? And so I try and approach the, you have to, I feel like approach iconic characters like Batman and Swamp Thing that way. And, and really, you know, if you love the character, trust that what you find exciting about your story for them, someone else will as well. And, and not be, yes. not be conscious, conscious really of the, the um, kind of what other people might want, you know, right. and just, really focus on what really what you would like to pick up as a comic and read with that character in it. Otherwise I feel like you really will very, very quickly begin to trip over yourself. I would. Sure. Well, he has to be your Batman, but as everybody else's classic runs on whatever character is, whether it's Englehart and Rogers, you you go back a ways or whether it's Stan and Jack's FF and then it's John Burns, you create your own run. That's now going to be thought of. I mean, you're only five issues in here. But you've right. already created a, a, a worthy addition to the rogues gallery. Well, thanks. The, the owls here are just—it's just an incredible little little addition to yeah, this. Yeah, that actually that brings us to our next question, which is: uh, What's the origin, or how did you come up with the uh, the rogues of the the order of the owls? 
Well, I, um, that's a good question. I mean, I first of all, we're, <laughs> we're only five issues in too, which is scary because they haven't even really they haven't even really sort of unleashed who they are very much against them. So, I'm, it really means the world to me that people have responded so positively to them because they they mean a lot to me, but we're also just sort of getting going. <laughs> so I'm glad that you're not like completely sick of them or sick of that. <laughs> Absolutely no, not. not. No, no, no. no. <laughs> So um, the way it came about was, um, I mean, the full story is that when I was on Detective, um, I began to think about a story where, about, um, I I began to, they began to talk at DC that Bruce was going to come back and they wanted Bruce to be um, uh, the star of Detective and of Batman. So I knew that I was going to be doing a Bruce story and I had this idea for one where I, I started thinking about what's most exciting to me about Bruce, you know, what would I like to do if I was going to write one story about Bruce ever before they kicked me off. And, um, <laughs> my feeling was that I love, I love his relationship to Gotham and how confident he is in being sort of its singular legend and a singular hero and how he knows the city, you know, every alley and rooftop better than anyone else. And it began to really intrigue me. Well, what if, if that's his, the way I always try and approach, um, a character like that is to say, you know, that's what I find most interesting or that's what I find most exciting. That's the story I'd like to pick up is one that engages that sort of element of his, psych- his psychology and then say, well, if, if that's what I like about it, then let's attack it, you know? So that's what mm-hmm. I did with Dick Grayson on Detective as well. From For me personally, it was I love his Dick Grayson's empathy and his compassion, his sense of altruism and civic duty, and his the fact that he has no doesn't have the same baggage as Bruce and that he's so approachable. And to try and have Gotham show him that all those things are weaknesses um, and 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 proof of why he he would never be an effective hero was sort of the 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 the, the through line of that story. So here it was really about. I knew that I wanted to do a story that was about. Bruce realizing that Gotham, which he thinks of probably as his closest friend, almost, you know, out of almost out of anyone or his ally that gives him the nightmares that he wants and the rogues gallery and the the ones that he's familiar with and used to. What if that, that, that ally all of a sudden sort of turned around and he realized it just had its back to him the whole time. And when he looks at it, its face is sort of the face of a complete stranger and and an enemy. And so I knew that. And then I thought, well, what if I build a symbol you know, somehow that really, um, that could be sort of at odds or rival the symbol of the bat. And the bat is sort of the family crest to me of the Waynes symbolically, even if it's not literally the, the family crest of the Waynes. So what if the Waynes are all alone then in Gotham and there's a symbol that belongs to sort of, you know, the, the, that owns the city or that belongs to different families figuratively in a way that um, pits them against the Waynes so that the Waynes are just one little bat against the city of birds, you know, and that, then I knew it. I was like, then I, I'm going to create this, this group, the court of owls and you'll never know who belongs to them, you know, or nice. you might later on, but I mean, you won't know who, who's a part of them. You won't know the depth of their resources. You won't know the de- the scope of the attack they're going to plan on Gotham. And I wanted it to be a story that really stayed in Bruce's point of view. You know, I never cut to, I really don't cut to them, you know, the, the owls or, mm-hmm. or to the machinations of the court behind, you know, behind Bruce's back. And it's kind of a tough, a tough structure um, to stick to for me. But at the same time, I, I wanted it to very, very much be a claustrophobic story where you're learning about mm-hmm. them as Bruce does. So that that's kind of where it came from. And I guess the idea of the owl for me personally as a really big Batman fan has a kind of baggage with it, with, you know, Owlman being kind of uh, the ultimate yes. universe Batman. And, Absolutely. 
and the evil um the evil batman and in the animated stuff especially and in in grant stuff and then the idea of the owl just being a natural predator of the bat it just felt like that was the perfect symbol to use because then old fans you know or fans familiar with the mythology would realize that that's been in kind of the atmosphere of batman for a long time but new fans wouldn't need to know that to get into the story so right well in this case we have old fans and new i'm an old fan so i picked up on that i mentioned that Mm. the bobby before the whole Man earth three and there it is and and the artwork reflects that Thanks. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a theme we really wanted to play hard. I mean, I wanted it to be a symbol that was scary and that, that you, you know, it carries that baggage too. So there are you know, cowardly though, lot, those criminals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's sort of the origin of this big court of owls story, I guess. But it's, it really is funny because it's, it's, this is issue five is really the one that to me, I, you know, I know I can be a really wordy guy, and, like go very slow and like set things up kind of glacially occasionally. But th- these are the issues where it really pays off starting with five. So for me, it's almost and Swamp Thing's the same. I mean, Swamp Thing, you'll see in issue five and then now in issue six, especially in issue seven and eight. These are the issues where if you stayed with me through more of the kind of setup and the 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 places where you you humored me through like my wordiness then <laughs> I'll pay it off now <laughs> not not wordy at all it yeah. it all is is every word is golden well just the mood right. and the the tone and the the absolute especially issue five the madness yeah that yeah. when I was reading issue five that like yeah I don't want to give anything away for anybody that hasn't read it but the the orientation and the presentation of the story the things that you have to do in order to read this book successfully. <laughs> I love that the the orientation of the book, it's so maddening to read that you're sharing the, the psychosis of Batman at that moment, that as he's confused and mm-hmm. he's desperate and he's bewildered, the structure of the book the same way that I was yeah. like, what is going on with this book? I've never read anything like this before. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah, Stephanie, we had a question actually what kind of relates to that from, from one of our, our listeners on Twitter, right? Uh, yes. We actually, somebody was... Blah, 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 blah. Uh, Stephanie anyways. comes swinging in. I know. Blah, 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 blah. Um, so Jeff Fisher, who is Jeff and Carrie 4234 on Twitter, wanted to know what it was like for you to work with uh, Greg Capullo. It's, I mean... It's funny because at first we, you know, we're very open about the fact that we sort of, we sort of didn't get along when we first met, um, where he, we're really different personalities and that if you've ever met him or seen him, he's a very big man (laughs) and he's, you know, he's got a very big personality and he's, he's got the biggest heart of anyone, but he's also very intimidating because he's just huge. You know, he's just super strong. He looks like a superhero. (laughs) Um, and, um, and when we first started talking, he was used to working from, um, probably a less descriptive script than I was used to writing. And, um, we, we sort of bumped heads. He was sort of, you know, like wanting me to, to make sure that I did stuff that would write a script that was less descriptive. And I was wanting to make sure that he, you know, didn't want that (laughs) for me. (laughs) Um, but what happened was the funniest thing was actually, we, we sort of were going back and forth and, and we got a little bit more annoyed at each other before we, you know, began was we were emailing back and forth. Well, you know, 
well, I was like, yeah, we were each kind of beating our chest a little bit where he was sort of <laughs> like, well, you know, I know this because of the success of the of Spawn and Haunt. And I was like, well, I know this because of the success of Detective and this. And, and um, what happened was I was like, listen, let's just talk on the phone. And we called each other up and we talked about the story. And um, he really, really liked the idea of the court. And he did some sketches. And I just, I loved his art from Go with it. And um, I mean, I knew his art already, but I saw what he was going to do here. And and we just got along from there. I was like, you know, we're completely different people. And yet at the same time, I talked to him every day, multiple times, you know, through email or calling and we get along. We're going like, we're going to Barcelona to the con and to Paris. We're going with our wives and, you know, we go out to dinner and stuff. Like we really genuinely love him as a guy, like as a, as a friend and as an artist, I couldn't respect him more. And one of the things that he taught me was that, was that I was really wrong, honestly, with the idea of needing to be so descriptive in that it for scripts, um, where I, the script was like 40 pages long, you know, with references and all. I'm used to doing that when I'm not used to someone with Raphael. An American Vampire, I can use a certain shorthand, and now with Yannick as well, and with Greg. But when I start out, I try and be really, really descriptive, you know, just to, not like a close-up here or medium shot there, but just beating it to death that the mood of this page is this or the emotion beneath the surface of this page is that and you know with someone like greg what i didn't realize is that you can say it once and back off and give him plenty of room and he's so emotive on the page and expressive and so he's made me a much better writer for laying off honestly i really have learned a ton from him and i mean it's been a very inspiring experience and i hope to work with him for a really really long time i love working with him it's it really is like an every day I learned something from him. Awesome. Great. Um, Stephanie, and you had a question for Scott as well, right? Yeah. Um, I can imagine like there's a couple characters and fictional characters that I can imagine writing gadgets for would be the coolest thing ever. <laughs> um, James Bond would obviously be one of them. And then Batman would be the other. So what was it like for you as a writer to kind of create some of these things like the EMP mask and stuff like that? I love it's like one of my favorite things in the world. I love it so much. I love whenever I get to write like and we go into the cave and then I'm like, what could be in the cave? <laughs> what do we get this time? And then whenever he leaves the cave, I get to decide. I'm like, I just realized actually the other day, I'll let tell you a little funny thing. Like I realized I had not shown him in the Batmobile in Greg's run with me. I realized the other day I was like, wait a minute, I've put him on like a crazy bat cycle and I gave him that awesome you know, Greg designed that awesome backlighter and, you know, I, but I was like, we haven't just seen him in the Batmobile. <laughs> but there are <laughs> so like five like, of them what? in the Batcave. <laughs> yeah, I know. So yeah. I was like, you know what, Greg? I was like, in issue nine, you're going to get a big ass Batmobile <laughs> driving Cougat. Big double panel, baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so things like that. But also um, the devices are, are huge fun to create and to use because, Part of the fun of it is is to remind people that Bruce isn't just, you know, the superhero, but that he's the only superhero that doesn't have superpowers, and he invents these things to be able to yeah. match wits with, you know, or take down the Justice League or Superman if he needed to. Yeah. So in that way, um, creating the gadgets is always a really fun facet of exploring how paranoid and twisted and fun Bruce can be, too. <laughs> and genius, you know? Yeah. <laughs> My favorite gadget will always be the Bat Shark repellent. <laughs> my favorite that i ever that i made was i love my the moment that it became super fun for me was when i was doing detective and he shot the 
his little fingertip when it was Dick Grayson at that woman who was freaking out and with the gun <laughs> at him and he it zapped her and then he's like bat taser. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, this is gonna be really fun <laughs> creating gadgets for this character. <laughs> So. Um, we actually we talked to uh, Brian Bucciolato, the right guy who's writing the Flash right now, and we asked him what it was like to, you know, be on this new Fifty Two sort of run, and um, how how we kind of straddled the line between being kind of beholden to the old universe and to this new universe, and kind of what was it like for you to kind of be like the introduction for a lot of people to this to reading comics, Batman comics. Well, I mean, it's really intimidating. I mean, I signed on to do Batman before there was a 52. So I found out it was going to be number one when I was writing it. Already. <laughs> and then I was terrified, you know. So, But um, luckily, I didn't need to change very much at all. I really only changed a few lines from my original script. And those lines basically just re um, uh reiterated that Batman's that Bruce's parents had been killed in Crime Alley and that was it you know so in his speech I think there were a couple lines that you know I put in just to tell if you didn't know that happened this right, yeah. that was there but um in terms of getting to introduce people to the character there's really no greater thrill than when someone emails being like I didn't know Bruce has a live dinosaur in the cave <laughs> and you're like well you really didn't read Batman yeah, <laughs> yeah. right now yeah. so to get to introduce people to a character that you know inspired you to want to write in the first place and then to get them to go read Frank Miller or Alan Moore or mm-hmm. Grant Morrison or you know Denny O'Neill and stuff and to is there's no greater thrill than that you know and with with the 52 it's 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 i'm much more comfortable now than i was with the first couple issues the first couple issues it was tricky to know because all of us were really shocked by how many readers we had i mean you know it's just a it's just true i mean none of us expected to have the kind of readership that we did with those initial issues and still i mean the readership on batman blows my mind right now you know so the idea that um, with issue two, for example, that I had jokes. I made a, I had a joke at one point where Bruce is talking about how he um, how he installed that holographic scanner in the morgue so he doesn't have to sneak in anymore. And Dick Grayson sees it and he's sort of like, "Man, why couldn't have you installed that before you died?" And um, you know, and DC was fine with it. DC was like, "You know, go ahead and and use the line and whatever." Mm-hmm. And when I saw the response to issue one and how many people were reading the book that hadn't read Batman, mm-hmm. I actually took it out myself, even <laughs> though DC allowed it. Just well, because um, what I realized was not that those things didn't happen. They did. And, I, and we're going to begin to refer to them a lot more heavily, I think, soon. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, in, in Batman, at least, where the continuity is the same. But that, that really... Um, I just don't. I want people to be able to enjoy the series without needing to have to know those things, so that they don't trip over a joke like that. If there's something important to know, I certainly am going to keep it in. But little things like that, I've learned to try and avoid. I guess at this point, just because there's so many people that are still getting their feet wet in Batman, that um, it's it's fun to be able to get them enthusiastic about it without making them feel like they're not in on the joke. Well, I think you've definitely found a way to, to straddle that line because your book seems less rebooted than the rest if there is such a verb. But now, how are you going to handle when supposedly going with Earth 2 again as right. we move forward a couple of months in? How's that going to impact your book or is it 
No, it's not really going to impact it. I mean, it's its own thing, you know. I mean, we're just going along doing our own thing with Batman and everything too. So, it won't really it won't really impact it. It's it's really for people that are going to enjoy that on its own. I think one of the things that DC is really trying to do is create independent series even when it comes to crossovers like this Night of the Owl stuff that we're doing mm-hmm. is meant to be something that um sorry that essentially <laughs> my cat was scratching my door <laughs> and scared away. We know all about cat attacks on talking yeah, that comics. usually happens yeah. to me <laughs> screaming as a cat claws up my leg. Yeah this cat is is she's she's just like a yeah, it, one of the worst cats ever. But demon cat. Ever. Anyway, she's just she, yeah. Name Selena, um, one would hope. <laughs> I, yeah, no, she's she's you know, I love her, but she she definitely is like, you know, you see the the that the thing they have um, at the vets that little sign sometimes it's like dogs think they're people and cats think they're God. <laughs> but anyway. Um, with uh, with um, the we were talking about the fifty two right. and the mm-hmm. idea of me um, of of introducing new readers and then what did you ask again? Oh, we're moving forward into yeah. Earth two where you've got the Huntress oh, right. who may or may not be the daughter of Bruce Wayne and Catwoman. I don't even know where they're gonna. Well, they're gonna treat it, that I think, together. I can't really speak to that only because not because it's such a big secret, but. People they've worked really independently on it in, in a lot of ways, so I don't feel confident saying what they're doing, mm-hmm. or or even though I know what's happening in those books, I just feel more. I would rather let that kind of come out through them, you know. Okay. Yeah, but, um, that's great I can too. say that it's not. There's nothing that I've had to change in Batman or had to that would affect Batman in any way, and they've tried to be really good with us, DC especially about. <laughs> making sure that that's the way that things like crossovers are going to run for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way that our Night of the Owl stuff came about was was pretty organic in that regard as well, where none of the books are being forced to participate or change the stories that they were going to do if they had stories that really were going to run through issue nine in some way that um, would be affected by it negatively. So they're trying really hard to keep each series very self-contained at this point so that they don't necessarily, um, you know, they don't require you as a reader to pick up a different series to know what's going on in yours or anything like that. That's great. There's so much going on right now that's connected to add another layer of that. Now, yeah. So you have these sort of board meetings, the Batman editors get together and say, this is happening here, but not here. And we can figure a way in between. Is that how it works or? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like what happened with the night of the owls was that, um, I, um, I basically realized um, when I was beginning the story, when I was a couple issues in that um, script wise, and right now I'm finishing issue 11. So I'm pretty, I'm almost done with it. But that the, uh, so a few months ago, I realized that um, there was going to be a point in the story that I would need to at least address where all of the other bat characters were because of the scope that the, Court of Owls, the scope of the attack the Court of Owls was going to launch against Gotham. And so um, I mentioned it to the other writers who I'm friends with, you know, at this point. Um, I am, I mean, I'm friendly with Gail and Pete Tomasi and Tony Daniel and stuff. So, and Kyle. So we, we talk regularly. I mean, I email Gail every week and with Pete. I, Pete, I actually call up and talk ideas with a lot and Kyle as well. So, um, you know, and Tony, I, I email with pretty regularly. So um, I 
told them as a group, I was like, listen, I think there might be the potential for you guys to tie into Batman if you want. You know, I know that it can always be fun to do that kind of stuff. And, and here's, here's the, here's the way the story will work. And, you know, I'll give you a lot of latitude. It's not going to, it's not, it's not a way that, um, if you do tie in, it's going to restrict your, restrict what you do to tie in. And it will involve a lot of, um, a lot of fun pieces. I'm sorry I have to be so vague. No, <laughs> right. you're, you're four months, five months idea, out, so sure. Yeah. Well, the idea just is that, that the idea being that I said, you know, this is what it would be. And we talked to Mike Martz and I, I was like, oh, we want it to be optional. And if people want to tie in in certain ways, they can. And, and luckily, um, most of the people wanted to. And then the people who really felt like they had stories going that would probably be um, too disrupted by it. Like Tony, I love what he's doing in detective. And I think, you know, I, that, that was probably a great decision. So for him and for JH with Batwoman and, and stuff, um, you know, those books really have strong things that they, they're almost finished with at that point. So it really would be disruptive. And then with other books like Batman and Robin and all-star Western and Red Hood and the outlaws and Nightwing and, you know, um, those books uh, and Batgirl, those books um, really sort of it happened to, to come at a point where it would be fun for them to tie in and it wouldn't it would sort of build on the stories they were telling. So so it was a fun way to do it. Awesome. Um, speaking of another crossover, um, this is going outside Batman for a second, okay. but uh, we're all pretty big fans of uh, Jeff Lemire. Yeah. And uh, the, the, yeah, there's this, uh, you know, you guys are talking about your Swamp Thing, Animal Man crossover for a while can you give us any hints about what's to come in in that well i can tell you it's going to start in issue 12 um the very end of 11 but it'll start officially in 12 and we took some time over the vacation we took the end of december like the 27th and 28th of december and basically holed up in skype and um plotted out the whole thing we already knew the idea but we plotted it out like issue by issue together and I couldn't be more excited about it. And it's called Dead World. And um, I, can, I can't really say too much about it because I feel like it'll <laughs> it'll give it away, you know. Mm-hmm. But I can I can just say that the books will read independently, also except for the very the very first two that are going to introduce the story. Meaning you'll have to read at least just one issue of Swamp Thing. God forbid, even if you love <laughs> Animal Man, if you don't want to read Swamp Thing ever. <laughs> That's okay. You'll just have to read one. Um, and the same thing, vice versa. If you love Swamp Thing and you hate Animal Man, um, you'll only have to read one issue of Animal Man. And the rest of them will be independent pretty much except for the finale. So uh, you'll be able to really stick to one book if you want to read them both. And you won't um, you won't be lost in your series, you know, by not following the other one. But it'll just be it'll also just be contained to those two books. So, I can't wait for that. I'm, I'm so like, I'm, I'm almost saying, sad. To, really I'm sad to hear that it's that far off. I'm like, no, <laughs> I just, it's I, it's like, it's just Promise. the, the rot and the, the red and just all of that stuff that's going on in both of those books is going to be such a nice side by side collaboration yeah, between be the two worlds. It's going to be and so we'll cool. Back, we're going to bring back some good characters too. So ah. it's going to be fun. And also, um, yeah, and you know, with Swamp Thing too, I really wanted to say thanks to everybody reading it, just because that series is a real labor of love, and the idea of having a series where Swamp Thing doesn't appear for so many issues, and it's still Alec, and 
you know, the people are, even though I know some people are getting, you know, you're getting antsy and you, you want Swamp Thing. He's coming, you know, I can't say that he's coming, I guess, but you know, he's there's someone black. We got out. a, we got a taste last issue. Yeah. And there's someone like blacked out on the issue, the cover of issue seven, you know, that yeah. looks kind of like he's vegetable matter. I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> um, but we really, we really want it to be, um, we really want it to be uh, to be something where you you like Alec as a character and you see his struggle, and also to reintroduce the Green in such a way where it isn't just a natural, it isn't just sort of a natural decision or a natural um, given in some way that he should become Swamp Thing. You know that the Green is an element that's fighting really hard for world dominance, the same way the Rod is, and the same way the Red is. And those those elements are volatile and greedy a lot of the time, and they each want the planet for their own um, and to throw the balance off. So to become the protector of the green is really to become its you know mechanism of restraint, and that's a big sacrifice and that's a sad life too. You know it's difficult. Like it's not just being a great warrior of this thing that you you know are proud of and stand behind. It's also holding that thing back you know so um and we wanted to really make those concepts clear and also to make you really fall for abby and um and you know alec both as as partners and their their make their history really potent and new before swamp thing came back to the book in a way so when swamp thing reappears whether it's alec or anything you know or or an avatar or whatever. I don't want to give it away, but it will be worth the wait. I promise. And there'll be a lot of payoff as well. Like there'll be, there'll be lots of swampy fights and there'll be lots of, <laughs> lots of new, new, new bells and whistles for swamp thing. Also. Awesome. Um, with all these great books you're writing, do you have any time to read anything anymore? <laughs> Mostly comics. I really, I have not read like I read a, well, I read, did read a book book actually kind of recently, so I was proud of that. But <laughs> um, I used to read, yeah, I used to read a lot more, but I really do, I do, I, I'm proud of my, I guess my, my, my reading in terms of my, my reading list or my nightstand in terms of comics. I have been able to, to read a lot of what I hope to be able to, to keep up with. So what are your like number one polls uh, from on your comic book list? Well, Animal Man is my favorite series, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, like, genuinely, even if I hated Jeff Lemire's guts, it was like, <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, he's my one of my best friends. But mm-hmm. I really do genuinely think that's, you know, the, my favorite book on the stands. Um, there are obvious ones. Like, I, I really enjoy Justice League a lot and Aquaman a lot. Um, and I enjoy some of the big, fun 52 books, like Red Hood, I think, is a lot more fun. Um than than uh i was anticipating i think given that it's jason todd and stuff mm-hmm. um all-star western though i think is a book that flies under the radar and is just really really good mm-hmm. um also uh obviously i'm friends with kyle and i i respect a lot what he's doing in nightwing and where that series is going mm-hmm. but um you know uh outside of um the sort of big 52 52 stuff um 
I'm trying to think. Oh, and Pete, obviously, I got to say about Pete and Gail both. I mean, I, I really, I think Pete is one of the unsung heroes of DC, Tomasi, mm-hmm. in that he's always really, really good. And I think he, people just expect him to be good at this point. <laughs> but he's really doing a terrific job on Batman and Robin. And Gail had such a hard task also with Batgirl, and I think she's doing a great job mm-hmm. there as well. Um, and what she gives to the character is really inspiring. So, um, Outside of that, though, I mean, the, the stuff that I I've really I read recently that I really liked was I really liked uh, Justin Jordan's um, The Strange uh, Talent of Luther Strode. Yeah. Uh, that, that <laughs> I, I love that read, book. I just read um, Little Depressed Boy. I thought it was terrific. <laughs> I have that, too. <laughs> as well. Um, and I read, what else, like Off the Beaten Path. Well, I read. Wow. It. I, I coined that. <laughs> That's mine. Six, the Sixth Gun is one of my favorite series as well. I think Colin Bunn is incredible. Okay. Um, and I think I'm trying to think. I mean, in terms of Marvel stuff, I think there's terrific stuff happening over there too. I mean, you know, um, some of my Jason Aaron is probably my favorite you know, younger writer, Grant mm-hmm. Morrison is probably the writer I look up to the most in terms of like a big established writer because he's so fearless all the time. Not because I always adore his stuff, but just that he does not care like what, what anyone <laughs> thinks about what he's doing is incredibly inspiring. But mm-hmm. somebody like um, Jason, I think is, I really admire tremendously Rick Remender over there, I think what he's doing with X-Force is terrific. Mark Wade, obviously, has been one of the nicest guys in comics to me. I met him when I was, like, you know, before, I think it was before I was on Batman and stuff, and he was so encouraging, and he's been very nice ever since. Like, he's just a great guy all around, and I, Daredevil is just an incredible series, so yeah, that's a great one. Um, you know, I, I'm, I've been a long-time Ed Brubaker fan. I think Fatal is terrific and all the stuff with Criminal and I've enjoyed Captain America. So, you know, uh, I think, I'm trying to think, and I think Ultimate Spider-Man's honestly just one of the best series out month after month. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. So there's just good stuff all around, you know. I'm certainly a partisan. I mean, <laughs> DC company, man. And Vertigo, I think, is, you know, there have been some terrific Vertigo stuff. But, um you know, I, overall, I, I, it's really exciting to look around the world of comics and see I'm, there's more books I want to pick up every week when I go to the store that I know are going to be good. And you can throw a stone and hit a good book, you know, and it's harder to hit a bad book, I think, half the time lately. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a good feeling. It's nice to look around and be excited by what your peers are doing. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Stephanie, I think we had one more Twitter question. If we want to throw that out real quick. Sure. I yes, I believe. Oh, I lost where the who sent this question in. So I'm sorry, <laughs> but um, he wanted to know uh, if you were planning on possibly trying your hand at any film like screenwriting, screenplay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not. I'm. I'm really. You know. I'm. I I mean it sounds enticing. Are you not are you not doing enough? (laughs) (laughs) My closest friend, um uh from when I was a kid to now is um the guy I write Severed with and he's in film and we've written some 
screenplays together for fun, um, more f- for him really more than for me for anything. But I've always enjoyed it, but I've never done it myself alone. And I don't have a big desire to do it by myself. I love doing it with a friend because, um, it's interesting to try that form, but I'm really happy. Honestly, I couldn't be happier where I am with comics. I'm not, I don't have very high ambitions beyond this is more than I ever expected. (laughs) I mean, I mean it to be able to write Batman and Swamp Thing and my own series. Like this is, uh, I really feel like I have somehow secretly made a deal with the devil or something. (laughs) I ever thought that I would get much quicker than I ever thought that I would get even a fraction of it. So, um, I, am perfectly happy earning where I am now for a really long time. <laughs> I mean, paying, paying the bill for this one <laughs> gift for a long time. So, yeah. I mean, you write Batman. So, I mean, you gotta be happy with that. So. Oh man. I, I'm super happy. I will stay right where I am until I'm fired. I would love to stay on Batman for, for as long as I can. And I promise to be a workaholic in terms of trying to make, make the stuff as good as I can to, to not take it for granted. You know, so awesome. Um, wow. Also, just I found the person, and the question was sent in by Adam Stabelli, who is Darkness Gotham. Just, just so you know. All right. He knows when he listens. <laughs> okay. Very nice. Well, Scott, we won't take up any more of your time. I want to thank you very much uh, for joining us. No, it's a pleasure, man. Thanks again. I hope to see you at uh, Fourth World really soon, too. Absolutely. Indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much, Scott. Um, we're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back with next week's releases. All right, take care. Thanks, guys. All right, we are back. Um, so that was pretty awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I feel enlightened. Yeah. Um, getting to talk to Scott segment. Snyder. Great, that was awesome. Yeah. Um, so we're going to not try to ruin what we just did, but so we're going to get out of here it pretty quickly. Fantastic. Yeah. It was fantastic. Ba- Steve just ruined it. He just ruined yeah. it. Yeah. Let's edit that one yeah. out. Someone yeah. had to ruin He's it. Like, it was. Get out of here. Beep. <laughs> um, so, Stephanie, we actually we ran a contest on the site this week. Um, do you want to tell the folks what that was and announce who won? Exactly. Um, so, over the weekend, we ran our very first contest for Talking Comics. Uh, we posted it up on the site. And um, the contest was basically run through Twitter. So if you already followed us prior to this weekend, you got the benefit of finding out all about it right away. Um, But basically what you had to do um, to enter and be qualified into the contest was two very simple things. Uh, The first being follow us on Twitter. And the second was to tweet a sentence about the contest that was provided on the website. Um, we had quite a few entries, and for those who didn't see it, it was a chance to win um, a copy of last week's Off the Beaten Path selection that Steve raved about um, by Dan Santat called Sidekicks. What's up, Dan? <laughs> um, you can check out the review for that and listen to last week's podcast all about that. I won't go into it, but uh, it safe to say that Steve thought it was awesome. It's an all ages fun read. Uh I I really enjoyed it. It's uh the winner is a lucky lucky person. And so without going into it too much further, there were a couple people who failed to follow us, but they retweeted it, so Unfortunately, you'll just have to listen to this, follow us for next time for the next contest. 
Um, but the winner we have chosen it goes by the name of Maria Selkie, who is M Selkie01 on Twitter. Um, so if this is you and you're listening to our lovely, lovely podcast, please send us an email at the crowd roars. info at talkingcomicbooks.com and, uh, you know, provide us with your mailing address and stuff and we'll get your copy of Sidekicks sent out to you ASAP. Awesome. Congratulations. Congratulations to our lucky winner. All right. So um, if you didn't win this book and you need to get some new books, we're going to tell you what's out on the shelves. Nice segue. Right now. Thanks, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) So um, uh, at Boom Studios, we have Irredeemable Volume 8. It's a trade paperback, as well as Incorruptible Number 26. Uh, From Dark Horse Comics, we have Angel and Faith Number 6. We also have BPRD Hell on Earth Russia Number 5 of 5. We have King Conan, The Phoenix of the Sword Number 1. Um, from DC, we have All-Star Western number five. Yay. Scott Snyder's American Vampire number twenty-three. Uh Aquaman number five. Batman the Dark Knight number five. Blackhawks number five, which has obviously been canceled. Um we have a trade paperback of Catwoman Volume One. We have Flash number five. We have Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Men, number five. Green Lantern. We're never going to get Gail Simone on the no, talk like no, that. No, we can get her on for some of her other books. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I just, Firestorm is a little... Green Lantern, New Guardians, number five. I, Vampire, number five. Justice League, number five. Justice League Dark, number five. Resurrection Man, volume one, trade paperback. Which has a very, very cool cover, by the way. Oh, it does? Cool. Yeah, it does. Uh, Savage Hawkman, number five. Superman, number five. We have uh, the trade paperback of Sweet Tooth, volume four, by Jeff Lemire. Which is awesome. Teen Titans number five. Uncharted. 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 Uncharted number three of six. And Voodoo number five. No, no good for you. Right? I don't know. Uh, not, not even a myth. Just yeah. From a Dynamite, we have Dark Shadows number three. We have Garth Innes' Jennifer Blood number eight. We have George R. R. Martin's A Game of Thrones, number five. We have Kirby Genesis, number five. Uh, Queen Sonia, number 26. We have Talking Comics' favorite, RoboCop Road Trip, number Hell two. <laughs> fucking yeah, man. Um, and we have Vampirella, number 13. Uh, from IDW, we have 30 Days of Night. Um, number four, we have uh, Dead Rising Road to Fortune, number three, which is a video game tie-in. We have Godzilla, Kingdom of Monsters, number 11. We have Infestation 2, number one. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number six. Transformers, Robots in Disguise, number one. <laughs> um, what else could it be? <laughs> from Image Comics, we have Artifacts Origins as a one-shot. We have Darkness, number 98. We have Elephant Men, number 37, Marksman, number 5, Walking Dead, number 93, and Witchblade, number 152. Um, From Marvel, we have Alpha Flight, number 8, Astonishing X-Men, number 46, Avengers Solo, number 4 of 5, Captain America and Bucky, number 6, 26, Dokken, Dark Wolverine, number 20, (laughs) Um, Deadpool, 49.1. We have Fantastic Four, number 602, and we have FF, number 14, which is Feature Foundation. Um, We have Mighty Thor, number 10. 
we have Secret Avengers number 21.1, which is Rick Remender's first uh, on that. Um, we have Ultimate Comics, The Ultimate, number six. We have Wolverine versus the X-Men. What? Trade paperback. It's trade oh, paperback. Okay. X-Men oh. Legacy number 261. Um, and that is it for the big... Oh, we actually... Also, no, we have Xenoscope. Yes. Grim Fairy Tales, Alice in Wonderland number one, which you can find a review of that on the yes, site. Yes, I did. Uh, very, very cool book. Very good start to... Uh, they're continuing their Alice series. This is another installment of it. Really good read. Very disorienting, but purposefully so. Oh, and I almost forgot one thing. Ooh. Green Wake number nine from Curtis Weeb. It's the second to last in the series. And we shall have a review of that very soon yes. on TalkingComicBooks.com. We will. So uh. that is this week's releases. Um, so there will be an article up, though. Okay. An article about what? The logo. Oh, well, the, lo- <laughs> the article is already up. It's oh, an okay. editorial I wrote about um, the new DC logo. It's called How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the New DC Logo. And it's about yes. all about I think people should stop complaining and appreciate the logo for what it is. We're yes. looking for comments. Yeah, absolutely. Comments are always welcome. Um, so, uh, again, and if anything, any of our stories, TalkingComicBooks.com, uh, reviews, editorials, news. Um, Steve, Steve just started a column, his uh, favorite uh comic covers of the week and that article is up right now i'm the art guy yeah it's up right now um the podcast obviously is talking comics search talking comics on itunes uh download uh subscribe review the show um and tell somebody about the show if you know somebody who loves comics and they aren't listening tell them about it because um they could hear an interview with scott steiner that we did today or if you go Or if you go out to Friday, we did an interview with Brian Bucciolato, who is the writer of The Flash. Awesome! So two really big writers for two really big DC books um, in one week. Um, Follow Talking Comics on Twitter, at Talking Comics. And if you have anything to write into us that's a little bit longer form, info at TalkingComicBooks.com. So I think that's about it. Um, I think next week our plan is to discuss um, what DC characters we think should be getting television shows. Indeed. So we're going to talk about that, unless, you know... I don't know. Unless someone else owns yeah. it. <laughs> Unless Brian Michael Bendis wants to be on yeah, the show, yeah. and then we'll maybe we'll change the topic. Hey, wait, it's Stan Lee at the door. <laughs> yeah. Let's let him in. Yeah. Um, Jaramita Jr. is coming back from holiday. Well, yeah. that'll be a good one. Um, so that is it for Talking Comics for this week. For Steve. Bye-bye. Bob. Good evening. And Stephanie. Bye. I have been Bobby. Until next week on Talking Comics, to be continued. Bye.